It's Mattress Firm's President's Day Sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hockey fans do not make up a big part of the audience. But I love the NHL. I love the NHL postseason. And when something big happens in the NHL, I've got no problem leading with that. Which is what I'm going to do right now. Columbus, 7. Tampa Bay, 3. Columbus, Four wins. Tampa Bay, zero wins. And just like that, the President's Trophy winners are done. Eliminated. Swept. Knocked the hell out. Four games after the playoffs started. They ended. One of the biggest tank jobs ever. Thanks for coming. So exactly what happened? What went wrong? Tampa Bay, Steven Stomkos had the best answer. He said, quote, everything, end quote. Yeah, it sounds about right. When you go from winning 62 games in the regular season, most ever, to winning none in the postseason, just about everything has to go wrong. In fact, honestly, I'm kind of impressed. It's one thing for a record-setting team to lose in the first round. It's entirely another to get completely blown out and swept in the first round to completely no-show and embarrass themselves to puke all over everything they had done in the regular season by choking in the playoffs. Now, that's historic. The first President's Trophy winners to get swept in the first round. In other words, you've got to be really good to be that bad. And they didn't just lose to any old team either. They lost to a team that had never even won a playoff series, ever. So, congrats on making that piece of history as well. I mean, seriously, how the hell does that happen? How does a team that good suddenly get that horrible? I mean, I'd say you got to go back. I'd say they got hammered. But if you go back to game one, they were the ones who were doing the hammering. Tampa Bay was up 3-0 after the first period of Game 1. They were on the way to a sweep, not getting swept. And then instead of continuing to smash Columbus, they just gave them the hammer and said, go ahead, bludgeon me. They led 3-0 after one period in Game 1, and then they were outscored 19-5 the rest of the series. Nice work, y'all. Hey, believe me. Everybody has already forgotten that you had arguably the greatest regular season in the history of the sport. But that choke job, that will stick to you forever. And yes, I know, Tampa was a little banged up. Doesn't help. But then again, at this point of the season, everybody's banged up. And when you're a one and you're facing an eight, it's no excuse. Not when you're not just a good team, but you're a historically good team. As Stamco said, they got worked. Quote, We obviously didn't have the answers. They executed, obviously, a pretty detailed game plan to slow us down, and we didn't really have a response to it, end quote. Further example, the power play, dominant in the regular season, sucked in this series. 
penalty kill, dominant in the regular season, sucked in this series. Columbus scored game-winning power play goals in Game 1, Game 2, Game 3, and then on a delayed penalty in Game 4. So, if you're new to hockey and you want to recap something you can relate to, something you can understand, here's your recap, courtesy of the great Jim Mora when he was the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Well, what happened was that second game, we got our ass kicked, or the second half, we just got our ass totally kicked. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. We couldn't make a first down. We couldn't run the ball. We didn't try to run the ball. We couldn't complete a pass. We sucked. The second half, we sucked. We couldn't stop the run. Every time they got the ball and went down and got points, we got our ass totally kicked in the second half. That's what it boiled down to. Right, and that's what it boiled down to with the Lightning. They couldn't complete a pass. They didn't try to make a pass. They couldn't move the puck. They couldn't get a shot. Their offense sucked. Their defense sucked. They got their asses kicked. They're totally embarrassed and totally shamed. Couldn't do diddly-poo. And don't get me wrong, John Cooper? Like, John Cooper is a hell of a coach. That's still a hell of a roster. But that was one hell of a series. I mean, I'd say they picked the worst time to play their worst hockey, but I'm not even sure they played hockey at all. None of these guys look like they had even ever played the game before. Stamkos didn't have a point in the series until game four. They were just letting Columbus do whatever the hell Columbus wanted to do. Just standing around. The Blue Jackets dominated that series, and they made the best team in the regular season play their style. So how bad was it in the end? The team's official Twitter account went full-blown emo after it was over. I'm not sure what's worse, how the Lightning showed up in the series or how the team's Twitter account handled the end of it. Check this, quote, We don't have any words, and we know you don't want to hear them. We understand your anger, your frustration, your sadness, everything you're feeling. We get it. This isn't the ending we imagined and certainly not the one we wanted. Thank you for being there the entire way. End quote. Hey, yo, y'all right at TB Lightning? Y'all right? Was that a tweet from a professional sports team or an eighth grader breaking up with somebody before the school dance? Did Tampa just get knocked the hell out of the playoffs or did at TB Lightning just get busted for making out with somebody new under the bleachers? Have you ever heard an official team tweet start with, we don't have any words. We know you don't want to hear them. We understand your anger, your frustration, your sadness, everything you're feeling, we get it. Hey, listen, I know you had won the President's Trophy, and this truly is one of the great choke jobs, not just in hockey, but in any sport. But damn, man, get a freaking grip. Get a grip. Shake yourself. Besides, Twitter account, you didn't do anything wrong. The team did. They were the ones who jumped out to a 3-0 lead in Game 1, only to get their doors blown off the rest of the series. They were the ones who choked in epic fashion. Not you. Don't make it worse. Quote, we don't have any words. And we know you don't want to hear them. I mean, seriously, (laughs) what is that? That tweet is so much worse than the team. And the team was horrible. The only thing I can say is, and I hate to make it about me, but at least I saw this coming. And I told all of you as much. But since this is about them and not about me, I may or may not get into that a little bit later on. But I did see it coming. And you know I did. Man, choke is a strong word. Choke is a strong word. I've never been that hot take artist that throw crap around to see what sticks to the wall. That's a choke. If you're the best ever 
regular season team, and you not only go out in the first round, you get swept out of the first round. That is a choke. Robert Klemko is my guest. Robert, so good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, man. Good. So let me ask you this. You've got a piece in the latest issue of SI on Kyler Murray. Before we get to the details of the article, the title is, What Does Kyler Murray Really Want? Quote, unquote. So first, going into the piece, Robert, what was your sense of Murray and your sense of what he wants? You know, I thought it was odd just going into it for somebody who has this baseball option, uh, which is such a rare thing. You know, first round, possible first round pick in both Major League Baseball and the NFL. I thought it was odd for somebody like that to go into the Super Bowl week interviews, specifically the Dan Patrick one, um, and not really have anything substantive to say on the topic and just look unprepared and unwilling to kind of answer the baseball question. I mean, you're at the Super Bowl, and you have nothing to say about the possibility that you're not going to play football, you're going to go play baseball, you just want to you know, put a Gatorade can up on a, on a, on a – table and and talk about Gatorade I didn't understand that so I was interested in kind of fleshing that out um, you know with or without the help of Kyler and his parents Robert Klemko is my guest so I want to go back to the details about Kyler and his dad but in terms of those interviews what did people around the NFL make of those interviews that he did Super Bowl week you know, I think people were really taken aback. You know, you talk to uh, GMs, uh, front office guys, and they say that that was a red flag, that that made them think, all right, there's a little bit more to this story that we need to flesh out, and we need to ask this guy straight up, under what circumstance would you go play baseball? Because, you know, at this point, I don't think the fear is that, you know, if he gets picked by the wrong team or if he goes too late, that he's just going to go flip over to baseball. I think people believe that he's committed to at least try to play in the NFL. But the, the concern is two, three, four, five years down the road, things aren't going well. He's getting sacked 50, 60 times a year. He's got a great parachute, you know. He's not Baker Mayfield where the options are play football for the Browns or go sell insurance with your dad in Austin. It's uh, go play baseball for the A's as a first-round pick. They want to give you $14 million and a fast track to the opening day roster. So, you know, when, whenever anybody going into the Denifal draft has a parachute like that, you know, whether it's baseball or, sadly, that they're really intelligent, people worry. I cannot wait to tell you about one of my favorite companies. You see, with Outer Known, you can find high-quality clothes that fit great. That is not always easy to do. The company is founded by pro surfer and 11-time world champion Kelly Slater. Now, when I say Kelly Slater, what do you think? I think this dude is sharp really sharp and he's got a great company a company that's got a mission to provide great clothes that don't harm the environment outer known clothes are for people and planet i'm talking high quality sustainable clothes durable construction and a great fit plus outer known only works with factories that pay fair living wages and provide safe working conditions And did I say, the clothes fit great and they look great. I know I wear mine all the time, on air and off. Go to OuterKnown.com today, enter my code name Rome at checkout, and you'll get 25% off your full price order. That's OuterKnown.com. I'll spell it for you. O-U-T-E-R-K-N-O-W-N.com. Remember to use my code Rome at checkout, and you'll get 25% off. Check them out right now. OuterKnown.com, and do not forget the promo code Rome and get your 25% off. 
Robert Klemko joining us. All right, so you mentioned Baker Mayfield. You dug in deep on Baker last year. So how would you compare Mayfield and Murray as leaders? You know, they're very different, um, and, I, and I think everybody around the Oklahoma program has acknowledged that. Um, Kyler was not voted a captain going into senior year, and, and part of that is he hadn't played, and part of that is he's, he's a quiet guy. You know, he kind of felt that he could lead uh, by example, um, and he did that, obviously. He, he had a stellar season, but he's not the rah-rah guy firing everybody up. He's not the person everybody in the locker room is rallying around. So if you're a GM or a head coach or an owner and you can wrap your mind around a quarterback that's like that, and certainly there have been successful ones like that in the NFL, then it shouldn't be a problem for you. Robert Klemko joining us at the same time. You know, some NFL teams do want to see the opposite, right? Some want to see that fire and juice guy all the time, but not everybody. So what about from a playing standpoint? How does Murray compare with Mayfield as a player? Yeah, and to your point, you know, if you're going to be drafted by a team like the Arizona Cardinals who have so many things to fix, you kind of want that big personality to build around. But uh, as to your question, you know, I think they're very similar. Two key differences, Kyler's fast, and Kyler uses his feet, and you can design runs for him, um, and he can escape way more than Mayfield can. But they have very similar pocket presence. They have very similar roles in the Oklahoma offense. You talk to people that have studied that film, and they say – Nothing really changed about that offense going from Baker to Kyler. And I think that's really helped Kyler in the evaluation process, uh, people seeing Baker's success in the NFL and then seeing a very similar player run Oklahoma's offense a year ago. Robert Klemko is a football writer for Sports Illustrated. Now, in pieces like this, you crush them because of the work you do. So if we go way back to 2006, when Murray was a nine-year-old and he was playing for the Louisville Vikings in Texas, his father, Kevin, was the offensive coordinator. What was Kevin like when he was working with Kyler? Yeah, that's a fun story. You know, and that's actually, uh, there's, a, there's an interesting story behind that. But, you know, I, when I talked to the youth head coaches, they said, you know, Kyler's dad, Kevin, was always the offensive coordinator. You know, this former Texas A&M quarterback who didn't make it to the NFL for a number of reasons, shatters, shatters his ankle in college, um, has all these recruiting violations he's accused of, uh, and then the NFL doesn't take him. And his head coach says, you know, because he's black. Um, that was a big factor. So then he has a son, and he's going to manage this kid's football career, you know, hardcore. And he's the offensive coordinator, and he doesn't share the playbook with the head coach, doesn't share the playbook with anybody but Kyler. And he signals in calls from the sidelines, and then Kyler tells the receivers what to do. And that's how it is when he's a kid. Uh, the backstory behind that is I called up several of the you know, youth coaches at Louisville to talk for this story because the parents wouldn't talk, Kyler wouldn't talk. And then one of those youth coaches posted on Facebook that they got interviewed by Sports Illustrated about Kyler Murray. And that's when Kyler Murray's dad started reaching out to people that they were close to saying, don't talk to Sports Illustrated. So, Robert, I mean, the whole thing is kind of weird, kind of bizarre. Why all the secrecy? Why is he so secretive? What's he concerned about? You know, I think that goes back to dad's days at Texas A&M. The Texas A&M program was later, you know, sanctioned in 88, a couple years after he left. Um, in large part due to recruiting violations and relationships between players and Dallas boosters. And the media was always, the local media, national media, was all over Kevin Murray at the time over those connections because he was seen um, as kind of the poster child for this level of corruption uh, at the time in college football at A&M. 
and so he soured on the media at that point. He talked about it years later, that that was a bad experience for him. And I think that he has always felt like he should have been able to lead by example and let his play do the talking. And his son was going to be able to have his play do the talking. But fortunately or unfortunately, he had a son that wasn't just a, a supreme football talent. He was a guy who had this incredible backup plan to go play baseball. And so that brings a lot of scrutiny. Robert Klemko is my guest. All right, so what about from a baseball standpoint? What was Murray like as a high school baseball player, and what did people around the game think of him and his future in baseball? You know, uh, I, I didn't put this in the story, but I talked with um, his travel baseball coach and his high school baseball coach, both of whom have had uh, multiple players go on to play Major League Baseball. His travel team has had 16 first-round picks. Uh, and the travel coach said, I think he could have been in, in the majors in two years. And the high school coach said a year, depending on, depending on whether they wanted to keep him as an outfielder or make him a shortstop. Um, but the big thing, the important thing that they did um, with Kyler in baseball was they kept him from playing shortstop, which is probably his nat- natural position, because they did, once he started to get famous around there in suburban Dallas, they didn't want some kid going spikes up into second base just to be able to put Kyler Murray on, on their pelt. Um, so it would all depend on what position the Oakland A's ended up wanting him to play. Robert Klemko joining us. All right, so on June 4th, Robert, 2018, the A's do select Murray with the ninth pick overall. What was Murray's reaction to it, and what was his father's reaction to it? Yeah. You know, I think he was ecstatic. Um, I, I think he started to take baseball more and more seriously over f- football over the course of his career when he realized he wasn't going to be six feet tall. Uh, and they didn't know how the NFL was going to be receptive to a five foot ten quarterback. So they had to have this backup plan. And that night, they actually lost. Uh, the Oklahoma baseball team lost in, uh, I can't remember what round of the NCAA tournament, but that was their last game. And his dad told him, all right, now we're going to show him what we can do on the football field. And you're, you know, you're going to dominate this season at OU, and you're going to change everybody's mind about five foot ten quarterbacks. And to Kyler's credit, he went out and did exactly that. And now we're talking about this guy as a number one overall pick, possibly, as certainly a first-round pick. And, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it, there's just no shot. There's no shot for somebody who's 5'10 to be a, a franchise quarterback in the NFL. All right, so clear this up, if you could. I mean, at that time, I mean, I hear what you're saying about what his father said, but at that time, the public plan, at least, appeared to be that he'd play that one year of college football because he really did like football, but then joined the A's when the season was over. But then, of course, he goes out. He has a huge season playing football. He wins the Heisman Trophy. So did the plan change because of that season, or was that public plan never actually the plan? You know, I think the plan changed because of the season that he had. Um, I also think that Scott Boris, who was their agent, exaggerated at times his level of commitment to baseball. Certainly in December, when Boris said he's still going to be in Oakland A, he's just playing baseball, the A's put it in his contract that he could play football, uh, but he's still playing baseball. Uh, you know, it, it's the family's position that Boris was speaking out of turn, and that's not the way Kyler felt at the time. Um, you know, believe what you will. I, I think that they had no idea that he would be evaluated as a first-rounder because of his height. They thought that he would have success as a college football player. They didn't know NFL folks would think it would translate. And then when they started hearing that from people like Lincoln Riley and then NFL executives after the season ended, then they started to change their plan. 
So what about the A's? The A's actually send a group, including Billy Bean, to meet with Murray in January. So what was that meeting about? That meeting was about a couple things. You know, I, I think baseball at large, Major League Baseball, wanted a win here. They wanted to snatch this player away from the NFL. Um, and so they sent a marketing executive along with the A's reps to Dallas to kind of explain to Kyler how they were going to market him um, as a star in Major League Baseball before, before he ever, ever became one. And then the other aspect of that meeting is the A's had a new deal, and they said, if you don't enter the NFL draft, we'll give you a $14 million contract, and they'd have to put him on the 40-man forty day or 40 roster to do so, and you know, you'll be on the fast track to joining the Major League Baseball club, and you won't spend very much time in AAA ball provided you, know, you have some moderate success there. Um, and so, you know, that's something that I will never understand why the family didn't want to disclose that. They didn't tell NFL teams that. They didn't tell the media that. I had to get it through a source. If you want to put the football questions to bed from a marketing perspective, from a PR standpoint, why wouldn't you share that this guy turned down $14 million to risk being a five foot ten NFL quarterback? It's a great point. All right, so I've got about 60 seconds left, Robert. At the end of all this, go back to the question you posed. What does Kyler Murray really want? How would you answer that? I think he wants to be a star. <laughs> you know, whether that's in football or baseball, I think he wants to be famous and, and have success in, in athletics. He's been an athlete his entire life. Uh, he's lost, you know, five total football games in his, since high school, sophomore year. I think he wants to be a star. He is a football writer for Sports Illustrated. This is an excellent read. You want to check it out? Friend of the program, Robert Klemko, my guest. Robert, great job. Always good to have you on. Thanks so much. Thank you, as always. You can now earn O Rewards points online and at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Earn points any way you shop at O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll get a $5 reward for every 150 points you earn. Visit orewards.com and become an O'Reilly O Rewards member today. All right, so Portland beats Oklahoma City in game one. That was big. After losing 10 straight playoff games, the Blazers had to have that. I mean, really had to have it. So that was a good moment for them after a really emotional and painful season for the entire team. They dealt with the passing of their owner, Paul Allen, and they had one tough injury after another. Great fan base, great coaching staff, great players. So when they won game one, pretty much everybody around the league had the same reaction. That's nice. They earned it. Good guys, good team. Good result, but only one game. But in the back of everybody's minds was this. Good win, but they can't keep this up. OKC swept them in the regular season. You know, Portland is going to come back to earth. And it's Cantor. Can I keep doing what he did in game one? OKC is not going to go five for 33 from deep once again. You know, but good job, good effort, Portland. Just know, the prevailing thought everywhere outside of the Portland locker room was the Thunder were still the ones to win this matchup. They were still the ones to beat, and they would get up, and they would get over. Then came Game 2 last night. More specifically, the second half of Game 2. Because Portland, what they did may have been nice in Game 1, not so nice last night. In fact, they were flat-out rude and disrespectful. They outscored OKC 60-40 to in the second half. And they took that from a tie game to a 114-94 blowout. Like, hey, Jennifer, they aren't just trying. They're actually doing. That's two playoff wins now. That's two for them. 
and they did it like a team that has won dozens of playoff games. They knew the Thunder were going to show up in Game 2, just like they knew the Thunder were going to learn from the mistakes that they made in Game 1 and be aggressive, and that's exactly what OKC did. The Thunder were tough. They were physical. They were running their mouths. They were trying to take Portland out of the game. Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard got into it in the corner. And if the plan was to get Portland rattled, it didn't exactly work. As C.J. McCollum said afterwards, quote, they're both pit bulls. You've got competitive guys who play hard, well-known all-stars, faces of their franchises, and the stakes are high. So if you're a competitor, you look forward to these moments and these opportunities to not only put yourself on the map, but your team on the map as well, end quote. And if you didn't have Lillard, McCollum, and Portland on your map before last night, you should now, because they were doing things like this to close out the first half. Now he dribbles right, puts it on the floor, drives past him. Now he plays a pass. Now to McCollum for a three. It's in! McCollum reigns in his second three of the half, and we are deadlocked. Damian Lillard to C.J. McCollum, tie game. Hey, look, I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I am going to say the Blazers have a pretty good backcourt, and they both came to play last night. C.J., 33 points, 8 boards, 5 assists. Dame, 29, 4-6, but it felt like even more because each guy was punishing OKC physically and mentally, and especially in the second half. In the first half, they weathered the thunderstorm, and in the second half, Portland put it to them because in the third quarter, they started to do things like this. A long three from Dame. Yes, sir! Lillard telling Westbrook, that's how you hit a three-pointer. Billy Donovan can wait no more. Timeout, Oklahoma City. Trailblazers Radio. Damien Lamont. Ollie Lillard, senior, if you need him. My man barely got across half court before he let that fly. Then he did this, going pickpocket on defense and finding Seth Curry on the break. Lillard front court to Curry. A far side three on the way. Back-to-back threes for Curry. A double-digit lead, 85-73. And did you catch that right? what he did right after that three? If you're watching, you might have seen it. If you're listening, the Blazers announcer starts to mention it. Curry let the OKC bench know exactly what he did. And see, that's the thing. The Blazers team, this team, is not just a nice story. They're a pretty damn good team. And they are going to let you know all about it. And if CJ's halftime buzzer beater was good, how about Dame for a third quarter buzzer beater himself? Dame catches the inbounds pass and Felton backing up. Lillard now six seconds against Felton going one-on-one. Crossing over. Now dribbles left. A fadeaway three at the buzzer. Got it! It puts the exclamation point on a fabulous third quarter. Man, that's just not fair. Lillard fitted Raymond Felton for skates and then tossed him in the mixer. Poor Raymond was all over the place, just throwing his arms every which way, and Dame still buried him on a step back. People still can't seem to agree about whether it's Lillard time or Dame time. But say at this point, I think it's pretty safe to say that it's just all the damn time. And as long as we're talking about time, it's about time for a certain coach to coach his team up. No names mentioned. The Monster Kid. Coach him the hell up, Monster. Because the thinking going into game two had been 
there was no way OKC could go five for 33 from deep once again. And they didn't. Instead, they went five for 28. That's 10 for 61 in two games. That is brutal. Now, not all of that is on the coach. Some of that's on Russell Westbrook, who's being left for dead in this series. Like, while Dame is putting everybody on notice, Russ was going 5 for 20 with 14 points, 11 assists, and 9 boards. Normally, getting that close to a triple-double in a playoff game is a really good thing, but not last night. Not when you also had six turnovers, and when your team was never in the game in the second half. And here's another tough thing for Thunder fans. I know you hate that Kevin Durant left. I know you hate that he left and started to stack rings. But since this guy left, the team has gone 3-10 and 10 in the playoffs. And Westbrook has had more than his share of bad nights. And Lillard made last night a bad night because he hassled him on defense. He knocked the ball away. He baited him into bad shots. And the worst part of last night for OKC is that Paul George and his shoulder looked better and they still got murdered. Sure, it's only two games. And as Lillard told everybody after the game, it doesn't matter until you win on the road. However, two games into this series, a statement has been made. Not only are they trying Jennifer, they're getting over Jennifer. And if game one was not a wake-up call to the Munster kid and his players, then game two sure as hell was. Coach him up, Munster. Coach him up, Munster, or you're going to be looking at a whole lot of for sale signs at your estate on Mockingbird Lane. Munster. That's two for Portland. It's two for me. It's two for me. Every one of those guys in that Thunder locker room should be under their cans, in their headphones, bumping that tune to get ready. In fact, at this point, I wouldn't even have these guys watch tape. I would just make them go in the locker room, put on their headphones, and listen to that song on an endless loop. Ernie Johnson is my guest. Ernie, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Romy, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm so good, Ernie. It's great to hear your voice. Listen, before we get to the NBA playoffs, Ernie, and everything else, during last night's show, a black and white photo of you rocking a striped suit and an amazing <laughs> caller appeared on the program. It really was an incredible look. What do you remember about that photo? I remember it being at uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium before a Braves game, and uh, my father was at that point still uh, broadcasting the Braves games, and he and I were on the field and doing the play-by-play on the PA system for a father-son's game. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, I, and I, I remember my mom going out and buying that outfit and saying, hey, you're going to wear this. And I was like, really? Don't you know that, <laughs> don't you know that you know, 50 years from now, that's going to appear on TNT, and I'm going to be embarrassed in front of a nationwide audience? And uh, she said, yes. So, yeah, that was, the, that was the origin of that photo, and I don't know how they uh, came up with it last night. That's a great story. Great story to match a great picture. We're talking to Ernie Johnson. All right, so speaking of last night, Charles Barkley declared last night that if the Raptors do not make a deep run in this year's playoffs, then Kawhi is not going to resign, and your show will never, ever go to Toronto again. Listen, I know Chuck loves the city of Toronto, but does he have a point? Does it feel like there is an enormous amount riding on these playoffs for them? Well, I think that's that's always a uh, you know when you when you look at pending free agency and where guys might want to go uh, and and the search for championships, 
Uh, sure, there's some validity to what Charles says there, but you know nobody can get inside the mind of Kawhi Leonard right now and 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 you know decipher how much he enjoys being where he is or what he feels the prospects of that team for deep runs in the future would be. But uh, you know, Chuck. I mean, if that's Chuck's opinion. Chuck's probably not going to keep it to himself. And so, yeah, I mean, all of this is. All of this is speculation. I don't care if you're talking about Duran or you're talking about uh, Kawhi or Kyrie Irving or whoever. You know, it's you know you, you can only do that from the outside, and and uh, you don't know what's going on between the ears of those guys. It's true, and I do know Chuck. And more often than not, Chuck is right. Ernie Johnson joining <laughs> us. Ernie, you cover just about every sport on the planet, but this time of year, you make the move from the NCAA tournament to the NBA playoffs. And of course, college basketball fans complain that the first round of the NBA playoffs never have any upsets or any action. But <laughs> when you look at the first few days of the playoffs this season, what do you make of what you've seen so far? No, it's all it's all about comebacks. It's all about teams that uh, just keep on fighting. I mean, what we saw the other night with the Clipper game was uh, was beyond description. I mean. Uh, to tell you the truth, you know, we had come out of, from uh, from the halftime show of the Clipper game, and we were just kind of standing around the green room talking about a million different things and kind of joking, oh, hey, look, they're, hey, they've got it down to 24, uh, you know, and, and, and then you just, then you sit down and start preparing for the postgame show, and you look up and say, okay, now it's 17, okay, now it's 10, and then you, then you start really paying attention, and then, you know, for what the Clippers did, that was just, uh, was just an amazing just an amazing thing and the same kind of deal last night when i'm watching san antonio you know they they go up 19 in the second quarter it gets cut to six they go back up 19 in the third quarter and you think well denver can't you know come back from this again and to jamal murray's credit they did and so uh it's it's been about that and i just i just think it's uh you know the difference between regular season and postseason in the nba is is just that you know you go down 31 in a game and in January, and and you and you may get it down under twenty, um, but when it's the playoffs and when it's uh, you know this is the time you've been worked all year for, uh, there's no give up. Ernie Johnson joining us and breaking it all down. You know, I think those are such good points. And Ernie, when you look at the Clippers and the Warriors, it would be so easy to focus on everything that went wrong for Golden State and everything they did wrong in Game Two. But what did that comeback say about Doc Rivers and the LA Clippers? Well, I think it you know. It, it always speaks, and we've always known this about Doc, of what a competitor Doc is. And you know, I, you know, back in the early days, Jim, when I was uh, a local sportscaster here in Atlanta, you know, and I covered Doc then when he's playing with Dominique and Kevin Willis and John Battle and Randy Whitman and that bunch. And, and you know what a competitor at that point Doc Rivers was. He's not going to let his guys lay down. And and you saw that too. Look, when you you trade away Tobias Harris. And people are saying, well, okay, now the Clippers are going to, you know, plummet, you know, out of the top eight. And they played incredible ball after the All-Star break. And so, and so, look, this is a this is a Clipper team that Doc has gotten the very most he possibly can out of. And then, uh, you know, uh, to have Landry Shamit hit the big shot, and he's the guy who came over in the Tobias Harris deal, uh, was was pretty cool. And and Patrick Beverly's. Um, style and his relentlessness has been a, a big factor in this. I mean, when Kevin Durant takes eight, eight shots in a game, uh, you know, something's up. 
Patrick Beverly is doing Patrick Beverly things. And I've got to admit, if I'm being really transparent, Ernie, I was one of those guys who thought that when they moved Tobias Harris, that that was going to be the end of this season. But it wasn't. And probably, well, you weren't alone. Yeah. yeah. And we, we probably should have known better. And I think you're right. Landry Sham, it's been an amazing story. He's something else. Let me just change to some other topic, though, really quickly. Because last month, you posted a video of you and Chris Webber talking in 1995. It's an amazing video. You're discussing the NBA <laughs> having a website on the World Wide Web where people earn. <laughs> can find out information about teams and actually watch clips like one of Nick Van Exel scoring and then talk to C-Web in a chat room. Like, what was your reaction when that video resurfaced? Oh, and did you have any you know, idea you know how what? important? It's a guy who has a website and he's, he's, he's in Australia and he has this website because I, I reached out to him because when he put it on there, I retweeted it because I thought it was hilarious. And then he and I corresponded on Twitter and he's got a podcast out there and he has... I don't know how he has access to all this stuff, but when I watch that, and I'm saying, and and I'm, you know, I've got this caveat, caveat in the middle of it where I say, if you have access to the internet, I mean, it's like it was unbelievable. And <laughs> right? so, yeah, that was the first promotion we ever did for this this thing like NBA.com, and and I'm being very precise, and you know, you got to get on the World Wide Web. I, it was, it was hilarious it was uh, humiliating to an extent and and it was i mean i was treating it like hey look this internet thing out there it's probably going to be gone in a couple of weeks but if you want to check this out you know go ahead but no that thing was hilarious okay, isn't that so funny and i can remember times you know not to age us but i can remember times where there was actually a conversation where you would say to somebody do you have an email address do you <laughs> exactly. use email are you yeah, on the and, world and, wide and we web? all knew about that that dial-up sound anytime you uh you connected to the internet and you got all that uh, all that crazy noise and you were waiting for it to end because then you were connected to the internet no we're we're really old, man. We're we are really, really old. old. And where you got knocked off the internet when a phone call came through. <laughs> now, True. That still happens to my mom, by the way. <laughs> Johnson joining us. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate you about you and our conversations is that we can get outside of sports and we could talk about something like Blackberry moments. Now, you okay. and I have talked in the past about that. But for those who do not know, I think it's really worth resetting. Ernie, what is a Blackberry moment and how did that phrase first come to be? It it uh, it's kind of like the uh, the foundation for the you know for the unscripted book that I wrote and it and it came from a little league game when I was a kid and we had a delay in a in a game because our left fielder and center fielder went looking for a ball after a ground rule double and then gave up the search for the ball and and started just eating blackberries that were sitting out there uh, growing out there behind the fence. And, you know, as you get older and wiser, you know, we always thought that was a funny story in our family, but it really, it became like a modern day parable for me. And it was, how many times do I, do I miss these Blackberry moments because I'm too tied up in the game? And, and so it was, you know, don't be afraid to step away from the game, whatever it is, whatever, you know, the next conference call or the next meeting or the next, I've got to do this or I've got to do that and look around and look for the Blackberries because there are these sweet moments that can be life-changing. And, and to me, that was, you know, that's, it's been a thing that's kind of defined my life um, since, uh, since that happened. And you always wonder, why did that happen? Why did that happen when I was eight years old? Well, this is the reason, because I was able to, I was able to kind of build off of that and, and, and draw parallels to what we do every day. 
It's so important, and it's such a great notion, but that doesn't mean that it's easy to execute. For instance, and you can speak to it, you're incredibly busy in work, more importantly, incredibly busy as a father, so it'd be easy to miss these BlackBerry moments. How do you go about doing that, and how do you make sure that you're always aware and open to these moments when they present themselves, because you never know when they will? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's just trying to slow down. I think uh, I think sometimes I think we're all driven either by our own you know personal work habits or by the demands of those who are paying our checks. That oh, we've always got to be working. We've all you know we've got to be nonstop. We've always got to be connected. And and I think we have to draw a line somewhere that says, look at this. At this point, I'm putting the mobile device away. I'm not going to be checking email all the time. I'm I'm going to you know when I'm at work, I I try as hard as I can, Jim, these days to work ahead a couple of days if I can, so I can get things ready for Thursday's you know telecast on Tuesday, so that I'm not constantly under the gun, and so I can say you know what I think I can carve out an hour here, and I can be here for this for you know lunch with the kids or you know, take my wife to to lunch or do something like that and and it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to do but I've been very intentional about doing that and uh, uh, you know I, I I read a book not to not to take you to church or anything here but I I, I read a book in which uh, a theologian named Dallas Willard says that hurry is the is the ultimate uh, roadblock to a spiritual life, and he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I've tried to live that out. And so if I'm not in a hurry, then I can help that person who might need it, or I can take the 10 minutes for somebody who's a co-worker who's struggling, who just needs somebody to, to listen to him for 10 minutes. So I try to do that. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I understand that, folks. It, but but man, I've been trying to be very intentional about it. I like that very much. You have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ernie Johnson is a three-time Sports Emmy Award winner. He is the author of Unscripted, The Unpredictable Moments That Make Life Extraordinary. Don't forget, TNT is all over the postseason. Coverage continues tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern with a pair of Game 2s. Pacers, Celtics, Jazz, and Rockets. Ernie, it is so good to have you on this show. I appreciate the relationship and the conversation very much. Thank you. Jim, it's always a pleasure so much, and I appreciate you having, for having me on. It's a BlackBerry moment for me, buddy. I have an important message. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or you're running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try to sneak across the tracks. Don't do it. Ever. Trains are often going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they cannot stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal. And what you used to be, well, best not to think about that. The point is this. You cannot know how quickly the train is going to arrive. The train can't stop even if it does see you. The result is a disaster. So if the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you... You need to just remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Let me just get this out of the way. Let me address something that, for whatever reason, keeps coming up. I want to take a moment to talk about something that has been on my mind for a while. And I got into it earlier, and I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to follow through, but I'm talking hockey. More specifically, hockey predictions. I didn't want to make this about me, but 
most specifically, my hockey predictions. And again, I did not want to make this about me at all. But year in and year out, I give you winners. I make you money. It's not something I look to take a lot of credit for because it's not about me. I'm not trying to make it about me. It's about the gift. I just have a sense for it. I've got this gut instinct. It's not about me reaching out to my sources. It's not about me getting inside information. This is purely instinct. And because it is such a special gift, I feel like it would be very selfish of me not to share it with the world. And even worse, for me to take credit for it when it's right. And it's always right. Listen, I could keep this to myself and just go to Vegas at the start of the playoffs and make stacks. But that's not what I'm about. This is bigger than me. When I do well, we all do well, so I share it. And over the years, I've gotten emails, even handwritten letters from people thanking me, people who write to me, literally through their tears, saying, Dear Jim, thank you for your prediction in the 2016 NHL playoffs. Because of that prediction, our kids will now be able to attend college. I can't say how many of those letters I've seen. I just don't read them on the air because I keep them in a shoebox in my home and every so often I'll break them out and I'll look at them myself. But I'm not going to read them here. Like this one, Vance Mack. Back in 2013, I was damn near broke. My home was in foreclosure. My car had been repoed. I was eating tomatoes out of a can. I had nothing left. Then I heard you say, the Kings would beat the Sharks in seven. I put my last 25 bucks on that, and now I'm back on my feet. Thank you, Vance Mack. I've got a stack of these things. I could go on and on and on. The ones from parents who are now able to buy new clothes for their kids. The small business owner who was about to go under but was saved by the Preds over the Ducks. Or the kids who were able to give their parents the retirement vacation that they'd always dreamed of, that they never thought they'd be able to pull off. These are the stories of lives that have been changed. Passions ignited. Happiness found. And they come from moments like this. God, I hate this. I don't even want to do this. But it's fact. Moments like this back in 2012 when I declared that the LA Kings would win in six. I like the Kings. I've been on that bandwagon, not the entire year, but certainly since the postseason started. You beat a one seed, you beat a two seed, you beat a three seed, and I love the way they're doing it, and I think Jonathan Quick is just unbeatable right now, even against Marty Brodeur. I'll take the Kings in six. I normally do not make picks because it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Get it right, you don't get credit. Get it wrong, and you hear about it all day long. But when I made that call, I heard from all sorts of people who said their lives had been changed. I thought that was nice, but I'm not going to do it again. After all, as has been said far too many times, with great power comes great responsibility. I had the responsibility. I did not want to abuse the power. But the following year, I kept hearing from people, Rome, I've got hospital bills. Can you help me out? And then I realized my responsibility was to be unselfish with that gift, to share it with the world. That's why I made this call in the Kings Shark Series. I'm going to take San Jose to not pull the shocker. And I love it as a native SoCal, but you know me, I honk. I don't call it the way I see it. I'm taking LA to pull the shocker. I'm going to take LA Kings over at San Jose Sharks in game seven. Picking the Kings over the Sharks after LA had just lost in San Jose in game six. Who does that? Me. 
and I changed lives. Everybody else thought that San Jose was the tougher team, that the Kings were tired, that it was time for the Sharks to break through. Then came 2016. I'll be real, that was tough. As you know, I do the show from Southern California. As you know, this show has a great relationship with the Anaheim Ducks. They're so good to work with. That season, they were so good. They were so talented. They caught fire in the second half of the year. They were a smart pick to win the Cup that year. Everybody was loading up on them. So naturally, I'm going with them, right? Wrong. I went against the grain. I went with Nashville, a team that had never won a Game 7 before. Not only had they not won a Game 7 before, but they only had six guys who had ever even played in a Game 7. And if they were going to win in 7, they were going to have to do it on the road. Crazy for me to pick Anaheim, right? No. Crazy would be going against the gift, which is why I did this. I'm throwing in with my Nashville. Predators. I'm sorry. Anaheim. I hate everything about the Ducks. I hate how they play. I hate how they're playing right now, which is not key. But when the playoffs start, you've got to start scoring. And that Duck offense is taking a dump. Do you see a trend? Have you noticed something? I get people paid. So I came back in 2017. As you recall, in 2017, the Caps won the President's Trophy. They were the most dominant team in the regular season. But I looked at them and I thought, this team's a year away. They're not ready yet. While everybody else said that the Penguins were going to be too tired and that it was too much to repeat as Stanley Cup champs, I said, no way. Trust the Penguins. Trust Marc-Andre Fleury. Most importantly, trust my gift. And then I did this. Top to bottom, they've got no skill. They can carry the puck as well as freaking nobody. They have shallow depth. And most importantly, they have the biggest choke. Alex Ovechkin. Alex is not ready to get his name etched into the greatest trophy in sports. I've got the Pittsburgh Penguins beating the Caps. Then go back to last year when everybody was all about the Preds. They had won the President's Trophy. They were absolutely loaded. They played a crazy arena. Everybody was all on Smashville. I said, nope. The President's Trophy is not a blessing. It's a curse. Not only are the Preds not going to win the Cup, they're not even going to make it to the Conference Finals because the real crazy arena is in Manitoba. You think Nashville is cool? Smashville is nothing compared to Swan River or Selkirk or Mystery Lake or unorganized Division Number 22. When everybody else was talking Nashville, I was hyping Winnipeg. Don't get it wrong. I wasn't predicting they'd win the Cup. I was being targeted and selective. Good forecasters can say who will win the cup. Legends say who will win in the second round. Roll it. No team has worse depth at center ice or suck on the blue line. David Poyle built a brutal diarrhea mess. Head coach, Peter Laviolette. He's got these guys saying one, two, three, Cancun. It's not Smashville's year. This time it is going to be Winnipeg. What I'm saying is, year in and year out, I give you winners. I make you money. And while I receive those letters from people whose lives I have changed, I also hear from the haters. For some reason, year in and year out, people want to come in here and say that I'm wrong. I have the tape to prove it. Alvin, please have the tape ready. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to make you look bad. But you really leave me no choice. So get ready. Get ready for an early lunch, haters. A lunch of crow's sandwich and humble pie. And one final question before I do what I have to do because you left me no choice. Before I play this, final question being, does this sound like I got something wrong? Hey, haters, hear me clearly. I am making my pick. 
I am going out on a ledge. I am the man in the freaking arena. And I'm saying this loud, and I'm saying it clearly. There is a storm coming from the Columbus oh, area. The Columbus Blue Jackets are winning the first round sweeping the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I said it. The Columbus Blue Jackets are winning the first round. John Tortorella is the coach to get it done. John Cooper will never get it done. Hey, John. Hey, John. Keep knocking at the door. Tampa Bay Lightning will never hoist the cup ever. Nikita Kucherov is a freaking crappy. Steven Stamkos is a leader of bums. Andre Vasilevsky is terrible. Horrible. The worst of all time. I know the past and I know the future. The future is the Lightning bringing a huge dump of their pants back to Tampa. Bam! I said, bam! Nailed it. Nailed it again. Like I said, I didn't give you the Stanley Cup winner. I reinvented. I reimagined. I didn't wait for June. I gave you a first-round winner. I made you money in April. Not only did I give you a first-round winner, I picked an eight over a one. Most people I know would have picked the President's Trophy winners. They may have said, hey, those guys were so dominant in the regular season, they're going to roll right on through the postseason. Yeah, not me. Not me, because I knew better. Because I knew. I knew that John Tortorella had something for them. I knew their special teams would suck. I knew that Stamkos was a leader of bums. I called that shot. I called that shot when nobody else would. I called that shot when nobody else did. Because the easy thing would be to pick the President's Trophy winner every single year. It's not my deal. When all of you are running one way, I go the other way. And it always works out for me. Anybody can do that. Not me. I go against the grain. I don't do that. When nobody else saw weakness in Tampa, I saw enormous holes. I just did not think they'd lose. No. I knew they'd be embarrassed. And if you listen to me, you made money. If you listen to me, you made money. But a lot of you people didn't. And that's what I think that is too. That's what I think that is. For so long, so many of you have wanted me to be wrong. And... So many of you did not get down and did not get paid, and now you're coming for me. Oh, you didn't say that, Rome. You didn't say that. The hell I didn't. You just heard the tape. A lot of you people are so bitter, always complaining about something. A lot of you people should have just come in here and said, thanks, Rome. You made my life better. You made my bank account better. Except you didn't do that, did you? So you know what? You know what? I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done. I'm out. I give, I give, I give, I give. I give and I give some more. And you, all you do is complain. Year after year, I give you winners. And you losers say that I got it wrong. Some of you have the audacity to come in here and say that the tape is altered. The tape is doctored. The tape is fixed. That there were obvious edit points. And that's what pisses me off. Because when you do that, you aren't just questioning my gift. You're questioning Alvin's 
integrity. Shame on you. All of you. So get this. I'm done. Man, I am done. Hear me now. Listen to the sound of my voice. Try not to jack this part up either. I'm done making hockey predictions. I've been right year after year after year. And that's still not good enough. Because all you want is more, 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 more. Let me tell you something. You're lucky I even picked for you bastards. Leave the pip in the box alone! Yo, Gino, what's up? How are you? Romy, you know, when I woke up this week, there's three things that I didn't think I was going to ever see or hear about again. Tiger winning a major the Dubs coming from 31 ahead to lose in the playoffs, and me calling your show talking about something called Jason in Melbourne. You know, I don't know who this guy is, but I guess he thinks he can go big game hunting with a squirt gun. The problem with hunting for lions, Jacob, is sometimes you run into one, pal. You know, to be honest, until Steve from Stucknut sent me your entire jungle call history, which didn't take very long to listen to, I never heard of you, bro. But Jalen, I am impressed. In the four calls that you've managed to call in on, you've highlighted every deficiency in your actual life from cramping up to actually glossing yourself as a lightweight. You know, normally you let the other callers make you look pathetic, but not you, Jamal. You've got your own little format. I, I'm impressed, bro. It's a, it's a whole new thing. The last call I did hear from you, you actually had Romy saying that you would never, ever get wrecked. Never, ever, bro. That's a long time, but I'll give you credit. You keep calling in. You know, you keep resurfacing out of that toilet called Florida. So the other day you call in attempting to drag me around by comparing me to Tony Romo, a universally respected and beloved sports figure. I mean, thank you. And then you called me Kanish, a made guy who ironically was also respected by everybody in the movie Rounders. Well, if in your analogy on Kanish, I mean, you know who you are, right, Jesse? You're Worm. You're the guy who'll never even get invited to the table to play with the Sharks because you can't keep his mouth shut, which is exactly my advice for you. Just keep your mouth shut, bro. If you ever feel like calling the show again, just put your phone outside the window. The humidity in Florida is going to destroy it in seconds. You know, they say everything in Texas is bigger, but I don't think that's true. Because one time I was in Florida, and I thought I saw a bear on the side of the road. But when I got closer, it was a roach standing on two legs, buying mess at a mall. Florida is a mess. The rest of the country watches The Walking Dead on AMC. You guys live on the set. Zombies eating people's faces in Florida is an actual issue for you guys. I mean, other than humidity, the only thing you guys produce in mass is serial killers. I mean, Jesse Smollett is from Florida. All right, I, I don't actually know if Jesse Smollett's from Florida or not, but that guy's such a train wreck. I'm going to assume that that's true. Anyway, listen, Jerry, let's keep it real. You and I both know that you should be happy. I know you are happy right now because I know that you got what you actually wanted. Gino from San Antonio just acknowledged that you exist. Finally, you got something your kids can be proud of. But make no mistake, Jeff, you will never get a seat at the table. When Rome calls out the names of the greatest callers who have ever called your name, will never be heard. This phone call, this phone call that I'm making right now, Justin, this is as good as it was ever going to get for you on this show. You got it. Later, Romy. Rock him. Yo, Jethro, he's got a point. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. 
Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.